Welcome to the Church at Lake Mead, and this is our sermon podcast. If you're joining us for the first time, we want to say thanks for stopping by, and we hope to see you again soon. Here is today's message. Well, hey, good morning, church. Uh, and what a good morning it's already been. Uh, when I'm thinking this morning, I said this in the first service, and just feel led to, as a church, just remember our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine that are suffering. We are so blessed. We're here, we're gathering, we're worshiping Jesus. We're not afraid of bombs falling. We're not afraid of um, uh, needing to do this in a subway or in secret. And uh, our brothers and sisters around the world in different places don't have that privilege of just gathering in worship. And uh, we need to remember that and be in solidarity with them and praying for them. And uh, I think it's important just to be thankful and just to be mindful of other people and what they're going through uh, as a church. It's, it's a good thing to think, Lord, um, this big, giant, worldwide body of Jesus, um, some parts of it are suffering immensely. And so uh, we talked a little bit about that last week, about just the world events and how things can overwhelm us a little bit. And we're in the second week in our series entitled Growing Together. And uh, last week, if you remember, we really kind of boiled down to this, that Christianity is community pure and simple. We cannot grow in isolation. You cannot flourish all by yourself. You were designed to be a part of a body and you were designed to grow and flourish within that. Um, we're not gonna be stagnant. Jesus is always on the move and following Jesus means moving, right? Can I get an amen to that, right? And so you cannot uh, grow in isolation and you're not gonna experience everything the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life if you're not connected. And so for the next four weeks or three weeks now, this week and two more, we are gonna look at different areas of growth we wanna work on as a community. And last week we talked about growing together in hope. And we talked about choosing hope, right? In the face of pandemics and wars and everything else that might steal your hope, we have to make a choice that nothing's gonna steal the hope that we have because Jesus is king and he's returning. Can I get an amen to that? Yeah, like that's something I'm gonna choose. I'm not gonna live in the corner of anxiety and despair. I'm not gonna let the world events keep me from hope. I, I might endure moments of sorrow that are real, but I'm not gonna live in sorrow, right? I'm gonna live in this hope. And so we talked about choosing uh, or changing your emotional address, right? and really being a witness to a world that needs hope, that there is hope in Jesus. And this Easter season, we're pointing to the cross, we're pointing to the empty tomb, and we're saying right there is hope for us, right there is hope for you. And that's what the message of Jesus and the message of his church really is. Today, we wanna look at our second, our second week in that series, and we're looking at growing together in love. So again, we're looking at one concept, today is love, and we're saying, okay, how can we grow together in love, how can we become a church that's marked by love? As individuals, as a community, how do we grow in love? How do we become more loving? Look at this text in Romans chapter 12. It says this, love must be sincere. He's writing to Christians. He's writing to the churches at Rome. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love. There's that community again. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Now I wanna ask you a question. Who wouldn't want to be a part of a community like that, right? I don't think there's a human alive 
that wouldn't want to be a part of a loving community where everyone there is devoted to one another in love. We long for that, don't we? We long to, to, to know and to be known, to love and to be loved. We long for people to really care about us and care about our walk with Jesus and our walk in life, our marriages, our struggles. We long to be our brother's keeper. We really do. That is, we're wired that way, right? And, and churches should be full of communities like this. Our life groups, our serve groups, our, our connections here should be full of groups of people who are devoted to one another in love. That's what Paul says in Romans 12. That's what should be happening in church. All right, I wanna ask you a question as we get started this morning. I want you to think of one or two or three of the most impacting people in your life. When you think back through your memories, however old you are, I want you to think of the people who've made the greatest impact, who've been the best example, who've left the strongest impression on your heart. It could have been a parent, a grandparent, it could have been a boss, it could have been a friend, uh, maybe just somebody, a, a mentor, you know? Every one of those categories, it could go either way though, right? That could be a really good impression, a really good memory or not. But I'm asking you to think about those who've left a great memory, a great impression, a great example. One of those people in my life was my grandma. Uh, sadly, she's been gone for 20 years, over 20 years. But my Grammy, as we all called her, had just the incredible ability to make you feel loved. I, I swear I was her favorite grandkid, but I think everyone felt that they were her favorite. And there was nothing like hanging out at Grammy's house, staying the night for Friday night into Saturday. I know she wasn't perfect, but I'm telling you what, I can't remember her faults. It's like that verse in the Bible that says, love covers a multitude of sins. Like when you really, demonstrate love to somebody else, they just really only think of you in these like superlative terms. Like, oh, she was so wonderful. There was no one who could make a chocolate malt like my Grammy. I mean, <laughs> and whenever you were at her house, you know, there would be good conversations. Um, there'd be lots of dessert and probably a little adventure. I, I, there, there's a longer story here, but here's a tease. One day, my Grammy says to me, Brad, we're, we're going to go on an adventure. I'm like, okay, what's new this weekend, right? And it was to sneak into FLM's after hours because she was convinced they threw chocolate away in the dumpster. I love my Grammy. She's amazing, right? Anyway, no one liked my Grammy. But here's the thing about my Grammy. Uh, <laughs> her love for people, I think, just made her love life itself. I think when you really love people, you just love living. And if you don't love living, you might not love people. I, I just don't think love can be compartmentalized. When you really are growing in love and you really are someone who loves well, you just love life. You know, it doesn't mean life is easy. It doesn't mean life is, it doesn't have trials or, 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 or difficulties, but as a rule, you just love living. And when my grandma passed away, hundreds of people showed up at her funeral, including several pastors to testify to how well she loved. So here's my question as we start today. How do we end up with a legacy like my Grammy? How do we become people who others would say they love so well, they just love deeply and authentically? They are truly devoted to others in love. 
How do we do that individually? And how do we do that as a church community? How do we just, guys, one of my hearts as our church is people would just say about the church, like me, that church is a loving church. That is the highest compliment a church could have is that church loves really authentically. Like there's no artificial, you know, fakeness. They are authentic people who love well. Like that would be the best compliment you could get as a believer. I believe that, amen. And you might not agree, but I think you do because it's true. Okay. So how do we become that way? I, I want to start with Jesus. He teaches something so important so foundational to how we become truly authentically loving in John chapter 15. I want to start here, and then we're going to look at a story where we see some of this play out. So let's start in John 15. Let's dive in together. Jesus starts out, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Now, if you were a Jewish person and you heard Jesus speak of himself as the true vine, your antenna would instantly kind of rise up. Like, what? Because the vine imagery was a common imagery in the Hebrew Bible to refer to Israel itself. God referred to the nation of Israel as his vine. He was the gardener or the vine dresser and they were his vineyard. And they were planted in earth to produce fruit, to bring fruit to the world, to, to bring the light of the glory of Yahweh to the nations. And so Israel was this, that was the design of Israel, the design God had for them, the, the purpose he had for them was to produce this fruit that would just give witness to how great God was. But in the declining years of Israel's history, the image begins to become negative. We have Isaiah saying that Israel produced bad grapes. We have Jeremiah saying that Israel is a wild vine. And you have Ezekiel lamenting that Israel's rebellion has caused her vine to become burned up. And so the image of the vine was a mixed feeling for someone from Israel. And so when Jesus says, I'm the true vine, he's simply saying, look, I'm here to do what Israel couldn't. I'm going to be what Israel always was intended to be. I'm going to be the one through which fruit is produced into the world. And you are going to be grafted into me. You're going to be connected to me. And I'm going to produce fruit through you if you remain in me. Look at the next. We're not going to look at every verse in the, in the passage. I'm going to jump around for time. But look at the next uh, section, verse four. It says, remain in me as I also remain in you. If you wanted a short summary of the Christian life, there it is. Remain in me as I also remain in you. That is it. We add a lot to it, but at the end of the day, it's about God coming to you and saying, I want a relationship with you. You matter to me. I wanna be in you. I wanna remain in you and I want you to remain in me. It's about an intimate relationship with God through Jesus. Can I get an amen? That's the, that's the whole point. That's why he died on the cross. Yes, he died to take away sin, but that wasn't the main point. That was just in the way. I wanna get that out of the way so we can be together, right? That's the point. You can preach and scream about how bad sin is, and it is, and we did a whole series on it, but the point of the cross isn't just to get rid of sin. It's so that you and Jesus can become one. Okay, all right. No branch can bear fruit by itself. 
It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Okay, let's go through that. I'm the vine, you are the branches. You have to remain in me if you're gonna produce the fruit that the Father wants to produce. He says this, if, yeah, go back. I'm sorry, go back one. Yes, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Then verse eight, just jumping a little bit. He says, to this, uh, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Jesus wants to show you off to the Father. He wants to say, look at this, this child of yours, this bearing fruit that once was um, a slave to sin, once was a slave to their own self-will and their own desires, and now has learned to bear the fruit of love, putting others in front of themselves, right? Glorifying the fathers as they, as they are denying themselves and now loving others well. That's the fruit that brings glory to the father. And it's the very fruit that the father wanted for Israel itself. In verse nine, he says this, as the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I've kept my father's commands and remained in his love. The fruit that Jesus wants to produce is love. It's all over this passage. Jesus said, the one way the world is gonna know you're my disciples is by the love that you have for each other. Outside of Christ, there's hatred and there's selfishness. And every relationship, you're wondering, what's the angle? Why, do you, why are you doing that for me? What are you, what's in it for you? It's all of that taint on good works. But in Christ, it should just be genuine. I just care about you. I care about you because you're you. You don't have to prove anything. You don't have to earn anything. It's grace. It's, it's coming from the vine that I'm connected to. He ends this passage this way. Look at this. He says this. I've told you this, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be complete. My command is this, here it is, love each other as I have loved you. Let's all read that together, ready? Love each other as I have loved you. Jesus set the bar pretty high on that. He goes on and says, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for his friends. Jesus is calling us to that type of love, sacrificial self-denial. It says, I love you. I'm willing to lay down my life for you. So the, and, and we all know that's the kind of person that truly makes an impact in your life. Someone who truly lo loves you that way. So here's the question I, I wanna kind of ask this morning, really think about how do we really remain in the vine? How do we do that? Jesus says it's, it's crucial if we wanna bear fruit. So then how do we do it? I think there are two commitments every follower of Jesus has to make if they're gonna really remain in Christ. Two commitments. I'm gonna talk about them in reverse order. So I'm gonna talk about the second one first, but with as much pastoral authority as I can have, I wanna say this. So I am, I am dead serious on these two things. These, this is really important. And I, I want you really to, to lean into these two things. This is critical or you're not gonna remain in Christ. Okay, commitment number one, this is in reverse order. Here it is. I want you to commit to remain in the body of Christ. 
All right, how can I say that I'm really in abiding in Christ, remaining in Christ and not be committed to his body? Does that make sense? Like it should, the, the words themselves, it's really not confusing. If I'm remaining in the body of Christ, that means the church, then I'm also in Christ. That's a way to demonstrate that I'm remaining in Christ. And, and this is so critical, friends, because when you see a person who tries to live their Christian life in isolation from the body of Christ, usually they start getting weird. Can I just be real? They do. They start believing weird things. They start doing weird things. They don't have accountability. They start saying things that aren't really lining up with scripture because there's no one in their life to challenge them. It doesn't take a while for them to say all kinds of stuff that you're like, but that just is off, dude. That's just wrong. Or they justify behavior that doesn't line up with Jesus and no one, they don't have anyone in their life. There's no brother or sister that says, hey, man, that's not how we're supposed to be. If you want to see someone who ends up walking away from Christ, you're going to notice they were cut away from the body of Christ earlier. The antecedent to people defecting from Christ is people defecting from the body of Christ. It just takes a while for the behavior to, 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 to show up. But if you have a brother or sister who's committed to remaining in the body of Christ, you're going to see a much greater chance of them remaining, walking faithfully in what we know Jesus taught us. Look at this text in 2 Thessalonians. Paul just commending this church. He says, brothers and sisters, we can't help but thank God for you because your faith is flourishing. Look at this. And your love for one another is growing. In that church, Paul said, man, you guys are loving each other well. Notice it's in the body of Christ. Paul is confronting some heresy in the book of Colossians. And he's pointing out that the teachers of this heresy are not connected. Look what it says in Colossians chapter two. They are not connected to Christ. He's talking to, about these heresies. Um, the, the head of the body, for he holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments and it grows as God nourishes it. These false teachers are not benefiting from the nourishment of the body. They're not connected there. That's why, friends, when I'm talking about growing together, every time we say, yes, I want to have an impact. I want to be someone who loves well. You have to be committed to the body of Christ or that fruit of the Spirit will not be in your life. So that's point number one. You got to be connected to the body of Christ. Point number two, this is the first one. So in priority, this would be the first one. It says, you got to remain committed to a daily communion with Christ. This means that individually, I prioritize daily communion with Jesus. That is a priority for me. So I'm prioritizing my commitment to you as my body, but I'm also prioritizing my daily communion with Jesus where I sit at his feet and I let Jesus just speak to me. Before I run and start my day, I prioritize Jesus. I spend time with him and I find nourishment from that relationship. I like what Soren Kierkegaard says about this. He says, like the lake that goes dry without a spring that continually feeds it, our love for others will go dry if our hearts are not continually fed by the stream of God's love. You see this in Jesus's life as he pulls away from people just to prioritize time with the Lord, with the Father. 
So then, then when he goes back into the community, he's being recharged with that relationship that he got from the father. And so you kind of look at these, they kind of work with each other. The commitment to remain in the body now reinforces my commitment to remain in communion. And the more I'm remaining in communion with Jesus privately, the more I'm connected to the body of Christ. This, this is how we remain or abide in Christ. That's key. Now, I wanna, I wanna shift gears a second. I wanna ask you this question. So that's how I abide in Christ. I'm committed to the body. I'm committed to my individual relationship with Jesus. How do I know if I'm practically growing in love? Practically speaking, because I'm a guy who wants practical like benchmarks. Like, how do I know? Because I mean, is there like this like meter, like love meter? It's like, oh, look, uh, I was at a 75. Now I'm at an 80, you know, like it's going up. I love, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting better at love. Uh, I think the best way to know is if you are growing in your ability just to care for other people, right? Denying yourself, right? And putting somebody else in front of you looks a lot of ways. It could be a simple act of kindness. It could be a simple, patient listening to somebody else. Most people just want someone to listen. And if you just sit there and say, you know, I'm gonna just listen to this person patiently, even though I have other things I need to do, I'm just gonna put their need to be heard in front of myself. That's, that's a way to show love. And the more you, the Spirit just gives you the ability just to care for people that way, maybe just to meet someone's needs. Like, hey, I know I got, I got other things I could be doing, but I'm gonna put their need in front of mine. I'm just gonna go meet that need. Those are, those are like tangible ways to demonstrate that you're growing as a person in love. The reason why I loved my grandma, uh, the reason why she just made an impact is when I was at her house, like it, it was like nothing else she had to do. It was hang out with Brad and, and, and go on adventures to FLMs. Like that was time with grandma. That's why it was so special. I wanna give you a quick little definition of love. I believe love is the act of decentering yourself so that you're free to serve somebody else. That definition doesn't capture it all, but that captures a big part of it. It's the act of decentering yourself so that now that you're free just to love somebody else. Simply to love is to serve. It is. Sometimes it's very rudimentary service. Sometimes it's heroic service. Sometimes it's just listening to somebody that needs to talk. Other times it's doing something that will be very sacrificial. But to love is to serve. And I wanna finish our time by looking at a story where we see this kind of play out. And, and guys, sometimes we get so involved because sometimes we wanna serve and we wanna do the right, but if we're not careful, even in serving, even, trying to, even in trying to like live this sermon out, we can let our service become detached from our relationship with Jesus. And I wanna spend the last part of our time together looking at somebody who really wanted to serve but they let their serving hijack their love. And it's the story of Mary and Martha. 
And so as we end today, I wanna look at what Jesus teaches because in this story, he's teaching something super profound about love and about service that I want us to walk home with today. It's in Luke 10. I'm gonna read the story quickly so you can catch it and be refreshed on it. Some of you already know it. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him, to Jesus, and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. All right, so many of you are familiar with this story. And at first glance, if you didn't read the story within like the context, the larger context of Luke, it might just look like, Jesus has uh, entered this house and there's these two ladies, right? Mary and Martha. And Martha kind of acts as the foil for the story. She's like the bad person and Mary's like the good person. And Jesus is commending what Mary chose to do and not commending what Martha chose to do. And it's really easy to see this story in that light and almost come away with this idea that being contemplative is better than serving, right? Uh, Sitting at Jesus' feet is better than working in the kitchen. And so what you got to do if you really want to follow Jesus is leave the kitchen and come and join Mary at Jesus' feet, right? And sometimes it gets taught that way. And I don't believe that's exactly what really emphasis here is. I grew up in a family full of people who are doers, you know? I think a lot of, a lot of people fall into two categories. You have the people people and you have the task people, right? How many task people are in the room? Yeah, yeah. And how many people? So the people people, right? They love hanging out with people. Uh, if they go to the grocery store, uh, they are having conversations along the way, you know? And they're meeting people uh, they already knew, and then they're meeting people they never knew. <laughs> and pretty soon they have new best friends, and they're just kind of, and it's like, a, it's like an event, right? The store, the shopping. Now, I'm not one of those people. <laughs> I'm more of a task people. When I go to the store, I imagine like the music from Mission Impossible starting, you know? And it's like, okay, what is our mission? <laughs> let's do a surgical strike. Here's the list. Let's get in, let's get out. Let's, <laughs> let's not spend extra money or extra time because time is money, you know, whatever, right? And so when I go with my wife, you know, it annoys her because she wants to browse. She does, she wants to browse. And she doesn't admit this because my wife is super sweet, super nice, but I'll ask her, I say, honey, what can I do? <laughs> uh, give me a job, right? Because this is killing me, right? And so because she knows I'm a, I'm a task person, she'll like give me some tasks. But I swear some of the tasks she gives me are impossible. They're like, find like the, um, this particular kind of cheese that only is available like twice a year. You know, go look for that one, you know? So then I'm on this wild goose chase, you know, and I'm like researching cheeses on, the, you know, and it's just so that she gets enough time to browse like she wants to. That's what's going on. I believe that. Anyway. So it's easy to read this story. And if you're wired like me as like a task person to walk away kind of feeling like, well, is that bad? Am I a bad person? Because I really enjoy doing stuff. And I, that is not what is happening in this story for two reasons. First, if you notice the text, it says that Martha opened her home. 
This is really important. This is a technical word for hospitality in the Greek. And it's important because it's letting the reader know that what Martha is doing is really good. Welcoming Jesus into his, her home is really good. Earlier in the same passage in chapter 10 of Luke, Jesus sends the disciples out two by two and he talks about them going to homes. And if someone receives you, bless that home. In other words, receptivity to the messenger of God was a good thing. Hospitality is a good thing. And what Martha is doing in this story is she is rolling out the red carpet for Jesus and his disciples. And that is a good thing. She wants to love Jesus and his disciples well. And she wants to make it a beautiful experience for them. They could have been traveling for days. Martha probably wonders how, when's the last time they had a really good meal? When's the last time they've been able to really relax? And so her heart is in the right place. Are you with me on that? The story right before this, this is the second reason why we need to hear this, is it's the story of the Good Samaritan. And if, you, if you're familiar with the story, you know the Good Samaritan is the chief example of a neighbor because he actually serves. He does. It's very much a put your love in action kind of parable, right? So Jesus has no problem with task-oriented people who love serving, who love just getting, doing acts of service to demonstrate their love. So this is not about someone who loves the word over work and that kind of thing, okay? But it's something that we need to hear in this. I want to say this before I, I break this down too. I said a minute ago that I come from a family of doers, right? And, and, and when you read this story, um, the ladies that have been in my life, you know, a lot of times they'd be like, it's fine. You want to hear Jesus's sermon. That's great. But pretty soon all of you guys are going to get super hungry if no one's in the kitchen getting dinner, getting dinner ready. So both ladies, right, are important in this story. So what is it that Jesus is correcting here? Well, I, I want to look at this again. It says in verse 40 that Martha became distracted. This is, this, is, this is how sometimes our service can get hijacked. She got distracted along the way. I think she started out well. She, she started out just wanting to connect and, and she was just, oh man, it's my opportunity to really serve Jesus. But she got distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. When you and I get distracted, even when we had good intentions, Pretty soon our focus leaves Jesus and turns to ourselves. This happens to Martha. Notice the me language in this story. She starts talking about myself and my me and, and help me and why am I alone? Martha becomes focused on herself. The, the serving got disconnected from Jesus and now turned into her. And this is what Jesus is pointing out. It's not that Martha has chosen to do something that wasn't worthwhile. It's that Martha became disconnected from Jesus in her serving. And when you become disconnected from Jesus in your serving, you will burn out. You will not be able to sustain that. What started out as a wonderful blessing you wanted to give becomes a curse. You feel taken for, for granted and advantage of and like Jesus doesn't care anymore. Isn't that funny? She says, don't you care, Jesus? Of course he cares. But Martha 
wasn't connected. What Martha really needed to do when she sensed in her own spirit that the task side of her was hijacking what she needed, which is love with Jesus, she should have left the kitchen and came and got filled back up with Jesus, knowing and remembering why she was in the kitchen in the first place. Some of us need to do that. Some of us are running hard. We're spending ourselves trying to care for people, trying to be a good Christian, trying to love people well. But if we're not careful, we can become distracted. We're not connected. So what's the anecdote to agitated, anxious toil and the consequent burnout? I love what Frances Gensch says. She's a great scholar on this passage. She says, here's the antidote to burnout. Time spent in silence, listening at Jesus's feet, thereby engaging the person and word that empowers and centers our own service. Yeah, Jesus wants you to love others and serve them, but you have to remain in the vine to do that or you're gonna burn out. You're gonna feel taken for granted and taken advantage of. And what you wanted to do as an act of love becomes an act of resentment. I love what theologian Rowan Williams says about self-denial. This is such a good word, and I want you to start using it. Because self-denial is a little hard to get your mind totally around. He calls it decentered. He says, the more we grow in Christ's love, the more decentered we become. Meaning we're no longer centered on ourselves. We're decentered. Our center is now Jesus. So for us task-oriented people, slow down, get filled up with Jesus, spend time with people, love people well, patiently listen. For you people, people, <laughs> I'm not leaving you out. You've sat long enough, <laughs> get up and go help Martha. No, I'm serious. <laughs> Can I be serious? Go help her because your sister needs help. Martha's not wrong. She needed help. Sometimes the people, people need to learn from the task people the task people need to learn from the people people and both people need to be connected to the Jesus who gave his life to rescue us. If we're gonna be a church that loves well, we have to be connected to the vine. I wanna end today with an opportunity for us to respond, to love each other well. Could you stand with me? I want us just to really just pray with one another as a church. Some of us right now, we are burned out and we need a brother or sister to help carry our burdens and to be with us in prayer. We're in the kitchen and we're tired and we need a brother or sister to join us in the kitchen and hold us and bring us back to Jesus's feet. Some of us need that from our brother or sister right now. Others of you are carrying huge loads and you feel all alone and you're not alone and you need to get connected to the church so that you can be connected to the vine. 
Maybe some have never put their faith in Jesus. I never want a service to go by where I don't explain clearly what our hope is. Here's our hope. Our hope is right here. God loves you. God loves you. He knows every single thing you've ever done and he loves you. You have never turned, uh, he has never turned his face from you because of what you've done. He's not ashamed of you, he loves you. But there's a relationship that's severed and Jesus was willing to go to whatever length necessary to restore it. And the, what was necessary was for your sin and my sin to be totally taken care of. So when Jesus died on the cross, he paid the penalty of our sin so that we could be restored to God. So here's our hope. God loves you. Jesus came and he died for you. And if you bow your knee to King Jesus in allegiance to him, you will have your sins forgiven, our relationship restored, and a new hope in heaven that no one can take away. That's the hope of the gospel. Right where you stand, you could pray a prayer that simply says, Jesus, I turn my life over to you. I surrender to you. God, I want you. I have been the center of my story my whole life. And that's caused all kinds of problems. And right now I surrender, I decenter. I ask Jesus to be the center. I put my hope in Jesus. Save me, Jesus. Thank you for dying for me. I trust in you. I believe you rose again. You are my hope. If you pray a prayer like that, the Bible says you can be saved. You can be brought into this family. Father, I just pray for everyone today that there would just be a recommitment to remaining in Jesus, a recommitment to this church family, to their life groups, to their group of people that know them well. And God, I pray there would be a, a recommitment to daily spending time with you.